you have your Bibles today, you can open up with me the book of Luke chapter 12. We're really going to be focusing on the first three verses of this chapter today. Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I told the guys verse 4. I don't know why I told them that this morning, but we're really going to pick up with verse 4 next week. But uh, today we're looking at the subject of hypocrisy. You know, God is, is good, isn't he? He is a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful, holy, good God. He is. And, you know, we really need to, to focus on his goodness to us, don't we? I, so often we focus on our problems. We focus on our needs. We focus on what we want from him instead of focusing on the reality that he is good. And he is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. He is good. Whatever is good is found in him. He is the definition of such. God is love. What does that mean? That means whatever love can be, whatever you might define love as in reality and in truth is found in his character and person. God is love. God is perfect. He is holy. Whatever is holiness, whatever it can be defined as, it is found in him. He is the one who defines it by his per- by his person, by his character. God is holy, and he is full of grace and full of mercy, and he pours that out liberally upon us. And he showed us his great mercy and his great grace through his son, Jesus Christ. That was the zenith moment, the high point of God's demonstration of his goodness, of his love, of his grace, of his mercy to us. In this passage of Scripture, what Jesus is giving us is a warning because of his character, because of his great goodness, because of his great love, because of his grace and his mercy, and all that he is, he gives us this warning against hypocrisy. Now, we have folks who will say all those people in those churches are just a bunch of hypocrites. Eh, whatever. Okay? We're going to find out the true definition of hypocrisy today. We'll know how to answer them when we leave here today. But beyond knowing that and beyond knowing the true definition of what hypocrisy is, we need to start with who God is and the reason he gives us this warning against hypocrisy. is because he loves us. You know, as a good parent, you want to guard and protect your children. And you want to help them so that they do not step into some situation that will hurt them. So you discipline them. You give them revelation, right? You give them truth. You instruct them. That's what God does for us right here this morning in chapter 12. And Jesus starts out in this passage of Scripture. He says, in the meantime, Luke is writing, when so many thousands of people had gathered, by this point, Jesus was well known. And there were a great many people gathered around him together, so much so that they were trampling one another. Jesus began to say to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, leaven is a substance added to dough to make it rise when you're making bread. Now, some of us just don't know what that is. We have never made bread, right? Uh, We're not real sure what leaven is, but that's what leaven is. It is something you add to dough which makes the dough rise when you're making bread. And you only have to add just a very little bit to the dough and work it through, knead it through the dough for it to have its effect. It is really a catalyst it produces change. 
Now, in this day and time, leaven was made by taking barley or some other plant and allowing it to stand in water where it would begin to decay and sour and ferment. That's how you made leaven. And as a result of this and the process of making leaven, it came to symbolize corruption, impurity, and sin. That's what it's symbolic of. So Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven, the corruption, the impurity, and the sin of the Pharisees. Beware, this word beware means to turn one's mind or attention to something so as to be on guard against it. So what Jesus is saying here is he is instructing his disciples to take heed, pay attention, and steer clear of the corruption, the impurity, and the sin of the Pharisees. But he goes one step further and he defines here what their hypocrisy or what their sin is, what their corruption is, and it is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is to be a stage actor. Some of you guys have been to the theater. Recently, the Browns have been to the theaters. These are the world travelers among us. At least Alicia is, right? Went up to New York and went to see a play on Broadway. Now, you guys may not have seen plays on Broadway. You may have. But we've seen plays and we've seen television shows where people play a part. What Jesus is saying here is that these Pharisees are hypocrites. They're stage actors. They are playing a part. They are not who they proclaim themselves or show themselves to be. And really, in effect, what they are doing as they are play actors, as they are presenting themselves as holy but are not holy, they are covering up their sin and making a place for it in their life. Rather than dealing with it, they were covering it up. They were giving place for it in their life. Now, leaven, as I said a moment ago, is added to a lump of dough until it becomes a catalyst. That's really what leaven is all about. It's something which precipitates and stimulates a future event. That is the rising of the dough. And so if you allow corruption, impurity, and sin in your life, it will become a catalyst. If through hypocrisy, the covering up of your sin, rather than dealing with it, you covered up. If through hypocrisy you allow for a place in your life, a place in your life for sin, it will become a catalyst in your life. It will begin to produce something in your life. It will produce destruction. It will produce death as it works its way through the whole of your life, producing something that you don't want. That's, that's the introduction here. That's what Jesus is really saying here. He's saying, beware of the leaven the corruption, the impurity, the sin of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He's saying they have covered up, attempted to anyway, covered up the reality of their sin rather than dealing with it. They've made a place for it in their life. It has worked its way through their being. It has corrupted them. It has made them a stage actor. They are not the holy people they present themselves to be. Beware that you do not do the same thing. Isn't God good? That he would give us such a warning. That he would give us such a wonderful word. It's encouraging. Some folks look at passages like this and think, it's all doom and gloom, beware of this, don't do this. Listen, it's a wonderful thing that God has given us, this word, so that we can avoid the same mistakes that others have made 
before us. He's saying, deal with your sin. Now, Jesus says here, he says, there's no advantage to hypocrisy anyway. You're going to be found out. Your life is going to be exposed at some point for what it was. I want to read you a quote I read recently about a man, popular leader in the 20th century. He said, he made free use of Christian vocabulary. He talked about the blessing of the Almighty and the Christian confessions, which would become the pillars of his new government. He assumed the earnestness of a man weighed down by historic responsibility. He handed out pious stories to the press, especially to the church papers. He showed his tattered Bible and declared that he drew strength for his great work from its from it as scores of pious people welcomed him as a man sent from God. Indeed, Adolf Hitler was a master of outward religiosity without an inward reality. Perhaps the greatest illustration of hypocrisy in all of history is Adolf Hitler, who did the very things that I just mentioned. See, there are a lot of folks who see and believe that hypocrisy, there's something to their advantage to present themselves as something they are not. They don't want to deal with who they really are. And as Abraham Lincoln said, you can fool all of the people some of the time, some of the people all of the time, but you cannot fool all of the people all of the time. And I've got news for you. You can fool God none of the time. Period. You are who you are. We all want people to think that we're good. We all want people to think we're a Christian in this culture and we're a good person. At least a lot of us do anyway. The question is, is are you really who you say you are and who you want others to believe that you are? Jesus is saying here there's no advantage to pretending. He says nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the private room shall be proclaimed on the housetops. He's saying avoid hypocrisy, avoid covering up your sin, avoid covering up the reality of who you are, give sin no place in your life, allow it to be what it is so that you might confess it for what it is, that you might ask for forgiveness and turn from it and repent and turn your face to God. You know, Mark Twain once said that we're all like the moon. You say, well, this sounds interesting. Where are we going with this? We're all like the moon. We have a dark side that we don't want anyone to see. You see, there is no perfect person in this room. Not one. The Bible says we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory, of God's purpose for us. God never wanted sin to enter into our lives, but we've all sinned. We all have that dark side. And we need to do something about it. If you choose to be a hypocrite and do your very best to cover it up and never deal with it, you may fool everybody in this room the whole of your life, but you never one day fooled God. And someday, every part of your heart is going to be exposed for what it really, genuinely is. And if you have not confessed your sin, 
If you have not admitted it before God and received his forgiveness through the cross of Jesus Christ and given your life to him, if you are not covered by his blood for the payment of your sins, someday when your heart is exposed, you will receive in full what you have coming to you, and that is the payment for your sins because the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. Someday you're going to be exposed for who you really are. And if you've been a hypocrite and covered up your sin and tried to hide it, you may have done a great job of hiding it from everyone else, but you've never one day hidden it from God. And one day it will be revealed for all that it is. God already knows that, but it's going to be revealed to everybody else too. And you're going to pay for your sins. Eternally separated from God. So it does us no good to play the game of hypocrisy. It does us no good to try and cover up our sins. It is not something that pays dividends to us in any way, shape, or form. It does us no good in this life, really, because we're just a pretender. We're always trying to hide who we really are. We're never really dealing with the core issues of who we are on the inside. We've never genuinely been changed and had a life in Christ. We're just a fraud running around in fear that someone will discover us. And someday, that just that will happen. We will be discovered by everyone as we are known by God for who we really are. So the question is, is will you deal with your sin? Are you ready to deal with your sin? Are you ready to give your life to Christ? There was a Sunday school class once, a children's Sunday school class, it was a class of little boys being taught by a pompous-looking deacon. We don't have any pompous-looking deacons here, do we? But there was a Sunday school class of little boys being taught by a pompous-looking deacon who was endeavoring to impress upon the class of boys the importance of living the Christian life. And so he proposed the question, Why do people call me a Christian? Dead silence in the room. And after a period of uncomfortable silence, one little boy raised his hand and said, maybe it's because they don't know you. Now that'll sting, won't it? That'll sting. But you know, there is a lot of truth in that statement, isn't there? Why do people call you a Christian? Is it because you are genuinely a Christian? Is it because you have genuinely done business with God? Is it because you have confessed to God that you're a sinner in need of his grace and his love and his mercy and his sacrifice on the cross for your sins and you freely receive that which he has offered you by his grace? You've been forgiven, covered by his precious blood and given your life to him. Is that why people call you a Christian because of the reality of who you are and the obvious change in your life? Or do people call you a Christian because they don't know you very well? That in reality, you're a hypocrite. You have covered up your sin to the very best of your ability. So no one will see your dark side and the reality of who you are. This morning, if you're not sure that you're a believer in Christ, I invite you to do genuine business with God. I invite you to do genuine business with a God who loves you infinitely, a God who has poured his grace out freely, 
and God who is ready to show unlimited amounts of mercy to you. That regardless of what you've done, he's ready for a genuine life change to happen here this morning in your life. If you will cease allowing a place for sin in your life through your hypocrisy and you will admit the reality of who you are and you will acknowledge your need to be changed. God's ready to welcome you into his family and he's ready to save you this morning. And that's the message to those in the crowd who are unbelievers. But he's really talking more specifically to his disciples here, isn't he? There were thousands of people there, and Jesus is speaking to all of them in this message. But he was addressing here his disciples specifically. And there's a message here for all of us as believers in Christ as well. You see, hypocrisy, again, is like a little leaven. It's like a little leaven, and it works its way through our lives like leaven does through a loaf of bread. And it becomes a catalyst for a life that we do not want a life of rebellion against Christ and against his will for our life. If you and I cover up and excuse our sin rather than dealing with it as believers in Christ through confession and repentance, it will begin to work its way into our life, consuming us. It will become a catalyst for a life of rebellion against God. And there is no more miserable person on earth than a person who is a believer in Christ who has allowed a place for sin in their life. Because it becomes a catalyst, it precipitates and causes a life of rebellion against the God that we really do love and want to obey in our heart of hearts. I can't tell you how many times I have talked to guys who are addicted to pornography who hate that they are addicted to pornography. They hate it about themselves. They almost are to the point of hating themselves for it. They don't want this, but they opened a door. They became hypocrites. They covered up their sin. They made a place for it in their life. They didn't deal with it. And so it worked its way through their life. It began to corrupt their life. It worked its way through their life so that their life became defined by their rebellion against God. And it begins to ruin their marriage. It begins to affect the way they look at women. It begins to affect so many things in their life. And it's because they made a place for it. And it became a catalyst for all kinds of sin that wrecked their life. You see, the message to believers in Christ is don't make a place for sin in your life. Don't make a place for corruption. Instead, confess your sin. When we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God doesn't hold it against us. Love keeps no record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13 says, and God is perfect in his love. So God is ready to wipe the slate clean. It's not held against you. Not one moment at all once you confess it to him. I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to people who wrestle with unforgiveness in their life. They simply will not forgive some wrong done to them. And it wrecks their life because unforgiveness is sin. And they make excuses and they become hypocrites because they've allowed some place for sin in their life. And it works its way into their life like leaven until it begins to reap destruction into their life. 
You see, the message for us as believers in Christ is that we are not to make a place for sin, which would work its way into our life and cause us a life of rebellion against God. See, we're saved by grace. At some point in the past, as believers in Christ, we've been saved by grace. We now stand here in this moment saved by grace. We are being saved by grace. And someday we'll go to heaven, be glorified there by God, and we will at that moment be saved by grace. We are always saved by God's grace. But as believers in Christ, if we choose, as Romans 6 says, to offer the members of our body to sin as though we are not saved, we place ourselves in bondage to the power of sin again as though we were unbelievers. Now, we may still be believers, yes, but we have chosen to place ourselves in bondage to the power of sin, a choice that we make to live as though we are in bondage again, I should say. And it wreaks havoc in our life. All the while, Jesus says, if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I keep no record of wrong. You are free. You know, Nathaniel Hawthorne, the great author and poet, said, No man for any considerable period can wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which may be the true. Now, there may be some here this morning that you have worn one face here and one face to your spouse, and one face to your co-workers, and one face to anyone you come into contact with. But the reality is it's not the true face. It's not the truth of who you are. It's just simply a mask. You wear one face to yourself and one face to the multitudes, and you've done that so long that you're confused about which is the mask and which is real anymore. And what Jesus says to you this morning is, Come, confess. Don't allow a place for sin in your life anymore. Admit you have the weakness. Admit you have the problem. Admit that you have placed yourself in bondage again and be forgiven of that. Repent of it and ask the Lord to keep you in repentance. And he, by his grace and his power, will do just that. And you will be free. You know... One of the things that God has been teaching me lately and revealing to me lately and helping me to understand lately is that, and this is the last illustration I'm going to make, okay, so stay with me for a minute, is that there is such a thing as generational sin or ancestral sin. And I believe that this is one of the areas that we make the greatest excuse for ourselves and we become the greatest hypocrites and we allow for the greatest place in our life for sin. And what I mean by that is this. We'll say, well, my father or my grandfather or my great-grandfather, grandfather, and father or whoever else in your family had a problem with, and you fill in the blank. It may be alcohol. It may be adultery. It may be lust. It may be the temper. It may be unforgiveness. And so we excuse it for ourselves. That's just who we are. That's just our family. That's just the way I was raised. And boy, the enemy has a field day with that. Because you see what we've done in that? When we say things like that, you see what we've done? 
we've played the hypocrite. We've covered up our sin rather than dealing with it. We've put on a mask rather than being genuine. We've said, this is just the way I am. I'm going to ignore this, allow this over here because it's just always been a part of who we are rather than dealing with it. Spending time in prayer with God recently and God began to convict me about this. And so I began to pray this way. God, I confess in Jesus' name any and all ancestral sins and ask for forgiveness of those and repent of those. Known or unknown, whatever has affected my life through those who came before me in Jesus' name, I confess and I repent. And you know, we as a church need to do that as well. I think churches need to do that too. Here's how it plays out in church life. Boy, we used to have some really humdingers of business meetings. People would get really something in those business meetings. Now, some of you are getting uncomfortable right now, right? And you know what that statement really says? It says there's a place here where we allow that kind of thing to happen. We allow people to be unchristian, lose their temper, and be unkind to one another. That's just who we are. We don't want to be that way, right? But we're not really dealing with it. See, I, I think sometimes we have to say, in Jesus' name, we confess. Now, we haven't had one of those kind of business meetings in years, but we, we talk about years past, right? As though that's a part of our history, but it is just that, a part of our history and does not need to be a part of our present. And in your own life, it may be a part of your grandpa's life. It may be a part of your daddy's life. It doesn't have to be a part of your life or a part of your lives of your children. You see, what God taught me to pray this week was, is yes, I confess that ancestral sin in Jesus' name. I ask for forgiveness of it. I repent of it. And I pray in Jesus' name that it would not be passed down to my son or my daughter or have no effects upon them. Because you see, the enemy has strongholds in our lives because of hypocrisy. Because of hypocrisy, the place that he has been allowed to rule and take presence in our lives he has strongholds there. And those things are passed down generation to generation. You guys know what those things are in your own family. We have them. I look at my family and I see generation after generation after generation, alcoholics, 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 people dying. My grandfather dying at age 49, primarily through alcoholism. Uncles, alcoholics, both grandfathers, alcoholics, broken lives and homes, alcoholism. Another uncle, dead, young because of alcoholism. Another one, most likely because of alcoholism. All through, all through, again and again and again. So we stand back and we look at that and we say, what in the world is that? Well, I'll tell you what it is. It is generational sin. It is hypocrisy. It is the covering up of some sin which has allowed a stronghold to be built up in the life of our family. And whether or not I'm an alcoholic or not, my attitude, my thoughts on that, my experience with that can pass down something unfortunate and bad and sinful to my children. And so what I have to say is this is sin. This is wrong. What I have to do is say I confess this in Jesus' name. I repent of this in Jesus' name. And I ask Jesus that you would not allow any ill effects to my children. That it would be broken right here. 
no hypocrisy. So we don't like to deal with it because they say, well, that's, you know, these are family secrets. We don't like to air our dirty laundry. It is what it is. doesn't mean you have to stand up in the pulpit and confess your every sin or every family sin, but what it does mean is you need to confess it to God and you need to deal with it and you need to repent. I said in the beginning, God loves us and he does love us. And let me tell you, he genuinely does have plans for us and he has good plans for us and he wants us to avoid mistakes he wants us to avoid the pitfalls he wants us to avoid those things which will wreck our life and he says here that hypocrisy the covering up of sin and allowing a place for it in our life is like leaven in bread it just takes a little bit of the covering of sin to allow it to work its way and knead its way through the whole of our life and begin to wreak havoc and destruction upon us so avoid it be aware of it he says be aware of it. Take note of it. No, acknowledge that it is there and be on guard against it. And don't even allow it to even in any way, shape or form, in any way, not even a hint of it, come into your life. Isn't it wonderful that God has given us that word? Now let's take it and let's run with it. If you're not genuinely saved from your sin and have a genuine walk with God and genuinely know him this morning, or you're not sure that you do, then by all means, please come this morning and let us help you to understand how you can have a relationship with God, a God who genuinely exists and his son, Jesus Christ through his son, Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer in Christ and you know that you have been a hypocrite in some way, let me tell you something that the difference between a genuine hypocrite and what people call us on the outside as they hurl insults to Christians, a hypocrite is someone who has covered their sin. They can call us hypocrites because we still occasionally sin as believers in here, but we're not genuinely hypocrites according to the biblical definition because we're not covering our sin. We're confessing it. It was like, you're just a bunch of sinners. Well, of course I am, but I'm a saved sinner. And I don't sin as much as I used to, and I sin a whole lot less than I did long ago, and someday I won't sin at all. How about you? Now, do you know Jesus? And if you know Jesus, is there some part of your life that you've let the enemy have and through hypocrisy have covered and have refused to deal with so that you might be forgiven, that you might be empowered and that you might be free. See the challenge here this morning. Is to live in the freedom that God has given us. Are we already forgiven as believers in Christ? Of course. He's forgiven us through the cross. But are you living as one who is forgiven? Are you living as one who is free? Or have you chosen to place yourself under bondage? As though you are in bondage. Again. So if you're a believer this morning and you've been a hypocrite in the biblical definition of such, confess. You might do it here at the altar. You may pray with a friend. You may kneel at your chair, but confess. And by all means, if you're not certain you know Jesus, then please come. Let us help you know how to know Jesus. Let's bow together.